Let's take our Bibles. Turn to the book of Romans today. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Don't worry, we'll be out of here before 1.30. <laughs> we'll be out of here long before that. But anyway, we'll make it to the football game. Oh, by the way, we are having church tonight. Just so you know, we, we're going to have church. All right? If you don't have a DVR, then find somebody that does. You can watch the first half. And please, by all means, skip the halftime. And I'm not joking. Skip the halftime, would you please? I, I, I just, I don't understand how believers are so enamored by the world that we feel we need to be plugged in to the world's entertainment. It bothers the life out of me. I, I, I don't even want to watch the Super Bowl if I have to watch the commercials, to be frank with you. I'd just fly right on through it all. I just, uh, wow. I don't know. I don't know about you, but some of the stuff that comes out and years ago, they used to have these, I don't even remember what the place was, something daddy or something. Go daddy commercials. Oh my goodness. You couldn't even watch them without hiding your kid's eyes. And uh, I'm just saying, you got to be careful today what you watch. And I think DVRs are the greatest thing ever invented by man outside of a VCR. You know, I don't have a DVR player right now, but uh, I hate commercials. Okay. I hate commercials. Because often they're just not too good. And someone says, ah, oh, you're just a radical. You're a nut. Okay. Live life the way you choose. I mean, really, God's going to, he, he'll work in your life like he works in mine. And I'll trust the Lord with you. You trust the Lord with me. And we'll all be happy together. We'll get along. We'll be fine. But uh, I'm just trying to give you some help that will help you and your family. It's tough to tell your kids they shouldn't do certain things when they get teenagers with the girls and boys they're hanging out with. But yet we'll watch things on television that say the opposite. It's tough. I'm telling you, you've got to be consistent in your life. You do. That's not the message, and I'm out of time almost already, so I better get started. But obviously, God wants me to say something about it. But nonetheless, Romans chapter 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. We've been addressing this passage now for a number of weeks, and... As we began dealing with it, we talked about the goodness of God. We said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. And we spent a lot of time talking about those first 11 chapters and how God revealed his mercy to us and how he showed us his wonderful, marvelous grace and all the wonderful things that God has done for us. And boy, I'll tell you, the apostle takes his time to really pinpoint those things. Justification, sanctification, glorification. And then he addresses so many issues uh, just that, man, as a believer, do you see what God has done? Do you recognize how good God's been? And we talked about the goodness of God. And it said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. He says, now listen, I've got this request and I'm basing it. I'm going to kind of lay the foundation. I want you to make a decision. I want you to do something based on what God has already done for you. He says that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Not a dead sacrifice like the Old Testament uh, offerings. A living sacrifice. Not a, 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 a forcing or a making us do it, but a voluntary sacrifice. Those animals had no choice. They were just thrown up on the altar and they were killed. There was no lamb, there was no goat, there was no bullock going, me next, me next, me next. It wasn't like that. They knew it was the end. It was over with. Matter of fact, they were probably trying to scurry away. We should be willing sacrifices. We should be willing to present ourselves, he says. Why? Because of those first 11 chapters. Because of everything that God's already done for us. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. 
We talked about presenting that body and we said that that call is a personal call. We said it ought to be our, our great privilege and there should be no reluctance to that call. We should be willing to lay our life down on that altar. We should be willing to lay our bodies on that altar and present ourselves to Him. We said it's very practical. And we said that basically when he's crying out and talking about presenting our bodies, in a sense he's talking about giving God the keys to our life. And saying you have access and you have authority in every room and every crevice of this body of mine. Every aspect of my life. Whether it's in my mind or my heart or whether it's my, my body itself. Lord, it's yours. It's so unreasonable, we said, to think that we often or could say, well, I'll give you my spirit, God. But I'm going to give my body to the service of something or someone that opposes you. I mean, it makes sense, does it? I mean, to say, well, I've given my spirit to God in my heart. I've given my heart to God. I just haven't given my body to Him. No, He's asking to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Not just the outside, but the in and outside. The whole person. Finally, we noted it's profitable. He says, listen... I'm telling you, once you make that sacrifice, once you present your body a living sacrifice to God, boy, I'll tell you what, then that's when you really start living. Because that's when the Holy Spirit really takes control of your body, control of your life. And that's when the fruit of the Spirit becomes evident. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Boy, those aspects. Who doesn't want peace in their life? Who doesn't want love in their life? Who doesn't want joy in their life? Hey, the Holy Spirit of God alone gives that to the believer. And may I say, without allowing Him to fill us, we'll not experience what we truly desire. Boy, what a profitable call, we said. And then we finally closed out as we last week as we said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. And what we learned was that presenting oneself a living sacrifice inherently makes one holy and acceptable to God. And, and, and again, we took the time to look at the Word of God. And, and all throughout the Word of God, there are examples that support that supposition. I mean, the Sabbath is holy because the Sabbath is, has been set apart unto God. The Bible speaks of holy oil. It speaks of Holy vessels. It speaks of a holy nation, a holy temple, holy priesthood. And in every single case, they are holy in the sense that they have been set apart to sacred use, to the service and to the worship of God. And may I say, once we present our bodies a living sacrifice, we place ourselves on that altar, then we have presented ourselves to God for His service and worship. And we are holy inherently. And we are acceptable that point. And so therefore, we destroyed the notion that holiness is abstract or unobtainable. Seeing that holiness is predicated on the byproduct of a life that is presented to God, we realize that every believer, every last one of us can be holy then. It's not just living a good life. It's not just being perfect. Because there's not one of us that's perfect. If that was the case, he wouldn't have left 1 John 1, 9 in the Bible. Somebody's going, what's that? And that's a good question because I'm trying to remember it right now. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why would He tell us that? It's not salvation verse. That's for you and I as believers today. 
So therefore, he knows we're not going to always take the right step. He knows we're going to veer off course slightly and have to be drawn back in. He realizes we're going to trip up, make mistakes that will even sin against him. But there's a means by which to get back where we need to be. And may I say, when we start to sin and we take that left or that right, or we veer off the path, it's because we've taken ourselves. We've crawled off the altar. And we've got to jump right back on it. We've got to present ourselves all afresh and anew again. And may I say that holiness is being set apart unto God's use. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Again, when we present our bodies a living sacrifice, we become inherently holy, and therefore we're acceptable to God. Now, With that said, I want to talk to you just a little bit today, very short. I, I just want to share some simple thoughts with you today about, I guess, being spiritual. Okay? You know, this idea, when we place ourselves on that, offer, on that altar, when we present ourselves to God a living sacrifice, we recognize the fact that we're offering our all to Him, right? Well, we're, we're going to see that that is being spiritual. Now, we can live a couple of different ways. We can be motivated and we can be moved a couple of different ways. We can operate on different levels in our lives. And I want to share just a couple of those levels today very quickly. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time doing it. So I'll talk fast, you listen fast, and we'll get moving along today, okay? Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you. Help us now. We need you. We love you. We're asking for your leadership. Thank you for what we already know. Now help us, Father, to apply what we've learned. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, again, God wants us to live holy lives. We get that. But that's not always the case, is it? In our own lives, we'd have to be honest and say that's not always the case. I'm not always putting myself on that altar, presenting myself to the Lord Jesus Christ in that regard. I'm not giving myself wholly unto Him. Well, there's a couple ways we live our lives then. There's a couple levels on which we live. We can live our lives, in a sense, sensually. We can live our lives in a way what would be maybe deemed as soulish. Or we can live our lives in a spiritual fashion. We choose that. We have the, the ability to make that difference. Now, when we think about that sensual life, if we are motivated by things that are sensual, if we are um, living on a sensual level, if you will, then we're going to have to realize we're not spiritual, obviously. We're sensual. So to be sensual, however, doesn't necessarily mean that we're living in a constant state of gross sin. It doesn't mean that we're totally and completely immoral. That's not what sensual has to do with. Sensual isn't that, wow, look at your life. It is in the gutter. Look at your thoughts. They're in the gutter completely. Oh my, you are so wretched. You are so sinful. You are so bad. That's not what we're addressing here when we talk about sensual. It simply means that we're ruled by the senses. Now, I want you to think about these expressions, and I want you to listen to them. Number one, I don't like the smell. I don't like that smell. It's too hot. I'm too tired. Does it taste good? What does it feel like? Don't do that. It hurts. Isn't it ugly? Let me tell you what Betty said. 
those cause a response in people. We feel those things. We've there said, yes, I said them, but you felt something with that. And you know what? What that is is that it's an expression of, of something being felt through the senses. You hear something. You see something. You touch something. You taste something. Do you know that the, the senses are the means by which we can function and communicate with this world in which we live? But also it's a means by which what is inside can come out into the world we live. I, have, I touch things, I taste things, I see things, I hear things. All of those are things that they give me the ability to take in what is outside here in the flesh. And they also help me to take what is inside and get it out to a world. Senses. Our senses. People, believers, who are ruled by those things, their senses. Are, uh, um, if they're ruled by what they see or they feel or they hear or they taste or they smell... Then, then they are sensual because they're allowing their feelings or they're allowing their senses to dictate or determine their steps. Now, again, you know, believers can be sensual and not so overly sinful, if you, if you know what I'm saying. You, 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 you don't, you're not necessarily, you know, the cover child for sinfulness just because you're sensual or because you allow your senses to rule you. But as a believer, it's a dangerous place to be when our senses rule us. For instance, someone says, well, I'm not going to go to the, to, the, to the services tonight or I'm not going to go soul winning because it's too hot. It's too hot. I mean, remember we used to have those tent meetings? Okay, and maybe one day we'll have those again, but you'd say, it's just so hot outside. I don't think I can sit out in that heat. You know what you're doing? You're being sensual. You're allowing your senses to determine your steps. You're not operating on what's right. You know God says you ought to be in his house. You know you ought to be working together and celebrating Christ together you know, as a whole that day. You know that the tent was put up for your being. I'm not talking about somebody who's physically got a legitimate problem. You get a doctor's note. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you're just sitting at home and you're thinking, man, I worked out in the yard all day long. I was cutting the grass. I was sweating up a storm. I'm telling you, it's so hot out there, I'm not going to go to service tonight. You know what? You're sensual. You're, sensual. you're allowing the, 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 your senses to rule you, to, to dictate, to determine your actions even. You say, you know what? I'm not going to work in the slums because they're too smelly. It stinks out there. Or those people don't shower. I can't deal with that. Oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. You're allowing your senses to make your decisions for you. You're sensual. You're sensual. Oh, how about this one? I don't like John Jones because he's not educated. He's not refined. Oh, really? You don't like somebody because your sense is that. God says you're supposed to love your brother. God says you're supposed to be there for him. You're supposed to meet needs in their life. Oh, you don't like him or her because they just don't measure up to your standard. They don't pass your visual, your, your eye test. They don't pass your smell test. They don't pass your intellectual test, so to speak. Let me tell you something. That's a sensual lifestyle. And unfortunately, there are believers that live on that plane. And I'm going to tell you something. That is not spiritual. You go ahead and read your Bible all you want. But if you're operating and you're allowing your senses to dictate and determine your steps in your Christian life, my friend, you are no spiritual Christian at all. You're a sensual Christian. Then there's the soulish Christian. That's just the best word that had an S. 
It's possible for us to be, I guess, soulish in our expression of the faith. Okay, we've got our faith, of course, but we express our faith soullessly. And what that means really would be to be ruled by, not, not in this case our senses, but ruled by our intellect. Ruled by our emotions. Ruled by our will. What do you mean by that? Again, now that's, that's really subtle. That's hard to pick. See, somebody who's being ruled by their senses, sometimes we can pick up on that. Why, why don't you like him? That's stupid. I just don't like it. I don't like how that smells. I'm not going to sit over there by so-and-so because they think. You know what you are? A central Christian. I won't go sit over there and fellowship with them because they don't do nothing for me. I'd rather have somebody like this person or that person. That's all about me. Sensual. The senses determine and dictate your steps and what you do or don't do. Sensual. This is much more subtle, though. This one looks even more like spirituality. I mean, this one has to do, again, like I said, with our intellect, our emotions, our will. And, and you know what? It's so hard to tell whether or not this is legitimately spiritual or not. Let me give you some examples. A believer may give himself over to the intellectual pursuits uh, in practicing Christianity. What does that mean? Well, he studies the Bible. He becomes a walking Bible encyclopedia. I mean, he studies the Word of God. And in his mind, intellectually, he knows facts and figures. He can go to every book of the Bible. He could quote scripture after scripture after scripture. He is a Bible encyclopedia. Where's this name found in the Bible? Bam! There it is. Where's this first at? Boom! There it is. And you go, wow. He's got to be spiritual. Oh, he becomes a great theologian. Man, I mean to tell you, he, he can outline and, and he can dictate these doctrines and he can really lay it out there for you. And you say, wow, he knows the Word of God. Woo! He speaks well. Or he can converse about Bible matters. You talk to him, he goes out in public and, man, he's able to share and, and, and able to, to somehow just uh, um, verbalize the gospel. He's able to verbalize the Word of God, verbalize the Christian life. You say, man, he is smooth as silk. He's got it down. Woo, man, he must be close to God. People may admire and respect him for his great grasp of the truth. Who, do, who knows the Word of God best in your church? Brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. Man, they know the Word of God. Wow, woo, they're spiritual. Again, he's not necessarily spiritual at all. Because the grasp of truth could just simply be intellectual. Any lost person could know the Word of God like that. I mean, even the devil said, Thus saith the Lord. Hath not God said? Hath not God said? Wow, he knows the Word. He must be spiritual, that devil. He may be given to emotion. You know, this soulish Christian, given to emotion. We, oh, we, we got the sensual Christian. We talked about that. Well, now we're talking about the soulish, intellectually sound in that regard, biblically. But he may be given to emotion. I mean, I'm telling you what. Doing the Lord's Supper. Talking about the crucifixion of Jesus. And tears start to well up in his eyes and roll down his cheek. He's emotional. He gets fired up during the preaching and says, Heaven! Little Tony Hudson. He considers the many orphans in Russia, 
those that are on the street that have no moms and dads that are going to sit there and perish on the streets of Russia. And as the, as the, the, the plate passes, he says, man, empty the wallet. We gotta help them. We gotta meet their need. He's emotionally driven. Intellectually focused. Absolutely. But he's not necessarily spiritual. See, all too often such displays are mere excesses of emotion. And you know what? The truth is, any unsaved person could have those emotions. Look what they do on the television now. They show little doggies that, that don't have little masters. And they, they show little orphans that are skinny and all the way down to the bone. And, and, and people are driven by that, emotionally charged. They don't have to be spiritual to give to that. They don't have to be spiritual to be motivated by that. No, that's just emotional. It doesn't mean you're spiritual. On the other hand, a believer may have an iron will. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with the iron will. You need to have good, strong will. That's good. It's okay. It's it's, it's a positive thing. But so after they're saved, they learn that smoking's not supposed to be in a believer's life. And so they say, you know what? I'm going to quit smoking now. Well, they got an iron will. They never touch a cigarette again the rest of their life. You say, that had to be God. Well, maybe it could have been their will. Doesn't mean they did it in the Spirit's power, it just means they had a strong will. Now, again, God will use the will. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. He'll use the will, He'll use the emotion, He'll use the intellect, and it all works together, and God, through His Spirit, will utilize those tools that He has available. Don't misunderstand that. I'm not saying that somebody that's spiritual isn't emotional. I'm not saying somebody that's spiritual hasn't have necessarily a strong will. And I'm not saying if you're spiritual that, that you're not intellectual. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you can be those things and not be spiritual, though. So somebody could legitimately seem like the perfect Christian in here. I mean, the epitome of Christianity. Look at them. Look at their life. Look at how they live. Look at how they talk. Look at what they do. They're so benevolent. They're so giving. They're so emotional about the things of Christ. Oh, I tell you, when the preacher talks of the crucifixion, he always has a tear in his eye. That doesn't mean he's spiritual. He could just simply be Sensual, or, as we already said, soulish. Now, the last thing is we could be spiritual. So, as a believer, you can live on a couple of different planes. One, sensual, allowing your senses to rule your decisions. To, to dictate your steps. Two, you can be soulish. And, and intellectually, you're focused on things. You've got an emotion. You're really tapped into the emotion of it all. You're, you've got a strong will, and you can make yourself not do things or do things as necessary and needful. You can be faithful in your own strength because you have an iron will. Again, nothing wrong with those things. God will use those in a believer's life. But see, the problem is, is God doesn't get the glory when you do anything. He only gets the glory when He does it. We wonder why we have so many problems amongst the brethren today. Sensual. Sensual. Well, I heard that so-and-so, you're sensual. You're allowing that to dictate how you feel towards someone. No, I'm spiritual. I read my Bible and pray. No, you're sensual. 
Don't you get it? You see what's really driving you? It's not the Word of God that you claim you read every day, and you very well could be reading it every day. But what's, that's not what's driving you. That's not what's dictating you. What's, what's determining your steps is your sensuality, your senses. You're sensual. You say, but you don't understand. I'm a good Christian. I'm faithful to every service, even when I don't want to be there. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. You can be soulish then. You have a very strong will. And I know the Bible. Don't tell me about the Bible. I remember years ago when I had just started the church, I wasn't very awfully old, of course. It was what, you know, I was like 12. No, I was probably 30. I was 31 years old. I remember I was working at Kaufman's and I was doing, I was just working there at the Kaufman's uh, warehouse and, and uh, doing all that stuff. And I remember one of the ladies, uh, I would try to, I'd leave my Bible out at, at break time and I'd just set it on the table and I'd read it during lunch. And, and uh, I got to know this lady a little bit and, and she came by and sat down. She said, hey, you know, she said, uh, she said I'm, I, I, I know the Bible too. I said, I'm so happy to hear that. I got to talking to her, and I started asking her about her soul. And I said, let me ask you, if you die today, you're 100% sure you go to heaven? She said, oh, trust me, you don't need to talk to me about the Bible. I know the Bible, and I probably know the Bible a lot better than you. And I said, I'm not asking you, do you know the Bible? I'm asking you, do you know Jesus? Because, see, salvation's not anything but knowing him. I read an amazing quote from Spurgeon just the other day. I'm trying to find it again. But it had to do with this. Do you realize that it's, it's not your faith in Christ that saves you? It's Christ? Think about that. Just really let that just roll around in your noggin a while. That's a neat thought, isn't it? I'm trusting in my faith in Christ. You better be trusting in Christ, not your faith. I'm just saying, it's kind of a neat thought, isn't it? Anyway, whatever. I thought that was pretty good. Okay, maybe you didn't. You're so sensual. But anyway, maybe the problem is I'm sensual. I thought, no, I'm teasing. But anyway, sensual or soulish. So, you know, that's where we're at. Okay, he knows the Bible. Big deal, right? But what about the spiritual one? Remember we said all the way back when we started the series, it begins where? At an altar. Do you know that to be a spiritual Christian, it's really... Yes. Does a spiritual Christian exhibit certain characteristics and qualities? Without a doubt. The Spirit of God filling you. Evidence of the the filling of the Holy Ghost. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. That will be evidenced in our life, in our attitude, in our outlook. Will it not? Of course it will. If we're spiritual. So... It's easy maybe to be sensual and look spiritual at times. It's, it's easy to be, to be soulish and appear to be spiritual because sometimes those same qualities mimic or imitate spirituality. But the truth is, true spirituality comes on an altar. That's where it begins. To you and I have presented ourselves a living sacrifice. We are not spiritual. That's all there is to it. Oh, we may be doing some of the things we ought to be doing. We may be saying some of the right things. We may be going the right places and hanging out with the right people. But that doesn't make you spiritually inherently. You've got to lay yourself on an altar. You've got to put yourself in a place where the Spirit of God can fill you and then control you and lead you and guide you. That's true in my life, just like it is yours. 
I want to say this, and again, we understand from the past verses, and we've got to close here in just a few moments, but we understood in the past series here that, that when we present our bodies a living sacrifice, we understand that it's like we're offering our house to him and saying, you have the keys to every room. <laughs> we get that. But also don't want to spiritualize this too much, this word body. See, too many times today in the world in which we live, the culture we live, and even in Christianity today, we want to downplay the body and we only want to talk about the spirit. It doesn't matter how I live or what I do because all that matters is God looks at my heart. Looks at my heart. How's come here to present your body then? Is that, I mean, is that serious? Is he really saying we're to present this too? We know it's flesh. We know that there's nothing good about it. We know it's going to go in a grave one day and something else will resurrect out from it. We get that. We're going to have a new body. We understand all that. But hold on. Why is it as a believer now that we are dead to sin, but we still have to present our bodies a living sacrifice? Look if you would in Romans, and we're just going to run through a couple quick verses and we're done. Real fast. Romans chapter 6, verse 6. See, I don't want us to spiritualize this word body too awfully much. He says, and, and again, I get it. I understand that when we talk about that, we're talking about the whole. I, I, I do. I, I really do get that. But we downplay the word body. We act as though he doesn't really mean this. He doesn't mean that it should affect our actions, that we literally lay what we do every day down on an altar, that we literally give everything to him, right? Yeah. Yeah. Look what he says in Romans 6.6. 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Verse 12, he says in the same chapter, let not sin therefore reign in your what? Mortal bodies. Mortal. Ouch, right there. If you pinch yourself, you'll feel your mortal body. If you pinch yourself, you'll feel your mortal body. Notice he goes on in Romans 7, 24. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this, from the body of this death? Hey, you know what? Your body's dying. There's nothing good about it. Dying. Look at Romans 8, 10. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. Oh, there's no, that's true. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. Romans 8, 13. And if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Wow. Now listen, I know, we can get all spiritual about it, and we can say, well, God just wants my heart on the altar. No, He wants your body too. He wants it all. He wants everything. If you're going to be spiritual, you can't just give Him your spirit. You've got to give Him your all. And see... The Holy Spirit takes control of a body. He fills you. This is a house right here. The Holy Spirit fills it. So I've got to lay this body on the altar. Because if I keep doing what I want to do with this body, He has no place in my life. Oh, He lives in me. Yes, and the, Jesus lives in me in the person of the Holy Spirit. But I'm not allowing Him to fill me. I'm not allowing Him to control me. I'm not allowing Him to have all total access no, I'm choosing to what I'm going to do with this body. So he says, not only do you have to lay that heart on the altar, you better lay the body down. Present that too. Say, okay, you have a pie, right? It's divided into four equal pieces. I ask for the pie. I say, man, let me have that pie, man. That thing looks great. I just want to say, there's some people in this room that can really make good pies. But anyway, 
I see that pie and say, okay, listen, I, I, I'm asking you. I want that pie. Will you give me the pie? And you know what you do? You say, ah, you know what? I, I can't give you that pie, but I'll give you a piece. Okay. Hmm. I may have wanted it all, but I'm kind of happy with a piece because let's face it. If that's all you're going to spare, then I'll take what you'll give me. A piece is better than nothing, right? Absolutely. I'll take a piece. On the other hand, let's consider your wife or husband. Let's consider them as a whole. Whole pie. And they're divided into four equal parts. They stand in front of you there. They're right in front of you. And of course, you want the whole or all of them, don't you? And, and they look you in the eye and they say, well, you know, eh, I'm not really willing to give you the whole, but I'll give you a piece. I might even give you three of the four pieces. But um, I would like to hold back a piece for myself or someone else. How does that make you feel? We're talking about a pie now. We're talking about a person. There's a big difference. Now, I don't know. I don't care what the culture says. I know the culture is so depraved and so wretched that today married couples are allowing other people to enter into their relationships. And that is so wicked and vile, I can't even tell you how wretched that is. And I'm watching articles talking about this mess, and I can't even believe people are that stupid. I'm sorry to let someone else into my marriage. I promise you this. If you got testosterone running through your body, you don't want some other man with your wife. And ladies, you don't want some other lady with your husband. You want everything. You want the whole thing. You want them to be totally committed to you and given to you. You don't want to share them with someone else or anything else. You and I can fool ourselves into believing that God's content with possessing a part or maybe even parts of us. But according to the Bible, he wants the whole thing. Why do we believe that the God of heaven would be willing to accept less than we expect? He wants the whole. He wants the whole. So we need to present our bodies to God as well. And when we do that, not only will our senses be controlled, not only will our intellect, emotions, and will be controlled, but the Spirit of God will move in and control us that way. He'll use those intellects, and He'll use those senses, and He'll use them for His glory. But we've got to give Him the right to have full access to us and to have control of our bodies. You can live on one of three planes. You can continue to live in a senses, with senses, just... Allowing those things that you see, feel, taste, touch, and hear to direct your steps. To affect your decisions. And you can be sensual. You can say, well, I'm going to be soulish. I'm going to be very intellectual. I'm going to study the Bible. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I, I'm going to be exhibiting strong will and do the right things and force myself to be right with God and and I'm going to do all of those things. I'm going to really be sensitive to the things of God and be emotional in them. I'm going to be soulish. I'm soulish. Yeah, you could live that way. But friend, God, what God wants for you and what's best for you and what's best for me and what's best for the world 
And the cause of Christ is that we be spiritual. And so, you're going to have to crawl up on the altar, friend. And present yourselves a living sacrifice. Because until you do that, you'll never be spiritual. May God help us to be spiritual Christians. Operating through the power of the Holy Ghost. Given wholly and completely to His use. Holy, acceptable unto God. You lost today? Do you know for sure heaven's your home? Let me tell you something. Your church attendance won't get it done. Reading your Bible and praying won't get it done. Being good to people won't get it done. Being giving to organizations, institutions, and benevolent, that's not getting it done. Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. Friend, you need Christ today. Before you leave, won't you just simply step out of that aisle and come on down front and someone will take a Bible and show you how you can simply trust Jesus. He alone is the solution to your sin problem. Christ only. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Lord, for your, your time with us today. We thank you, Father, for the privilege that we've had to gather today. Bless us now in this time of invitation. If there be anybody without Christ, may they settle it today. May they know you, Lord Jesus, before they leave. May they receive you into their life, allow you to be their Lord and Savior, truly trusting you, receiving you. And, Lord, for the believer today, may we, Father, not be duped, not be deceived into believing that we're spiritual simply because we go to church or read our Bibles, or pray, or do any of those things. We're spiritual when, and only when, we've presented our bodies a living sacrifice. Help us not to be content with mediocrity. May we truly want what you want for us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's all